Do you ever experience a sense of low self-worth? What you could really be experiencing is more to do with a sense of shame. Today, we're going to be talking about shame, what it is and what you can do about it. If you'd like to find out more about how to improve your relationships, head over to therelationshipmaze.com where you can also take our free online conflict style quiz and discover your argument style in relationships. And press subscribe right now. Welcome to today's podcast. And today we're talking about the very important topic of shame. Yes, shame is one of the most difficult uh, feelings that we can have. We can really feel desperately unpleasant to have this sort of sensation of feeling um, uncomfortable in your body and you experience it. You might experience it, for example, physiologically. You might notice that your cheeks are getting red in your, you know, in your face. You might have that kind of sinking feeling in your stomach. Um, your heart become uh, beats much more, uh, much faster. So, and you also have some thoughts that come with that, which are related to, oh, I'm, I'm horrible. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible person. I got this completely wrong. So shame is a feeling that actually is underlying a lot of the presentations that we come across uh, in our in the world of therapy. It's very often at the core of issues around uh, low self-esteem and confidence. It might be at the core of presentations around anxiety and depression. It might pretty much be at the core of um, any kind of uh, unpleasant negative experiences that you have in your life. So we're going to look at it in a little bit more detail. Um, so yeah, so what is it? How might it uh, manifest uh, shame? So what is it? What are the feelings that you have then? So as I said, uh, it manifests cognitively in terms of your thoughts. It manifests in terms of your physiological sensations in your body. It's a feeling of inadequacy, of not um, not being worthy, of not um, of having so drawing on very internalized negative beliefs about yourself, and uh, it is really one of the most difficult and painful emotions to to manage because ultimately shame is an attack on the self. Yes, and I think, like you said, it's 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 really important to to know as well that it's learned mm -hmm. that we're not born with shame, and as you said, it's a combination of that the mental experience of a cognitive experience with the emotional experience. The emotion is really intense. Mm. It can be so intense that we go to extreme lengths to suppress it. We go to extreme lengths to try to, you know, to hide it, which, mm. which can have negative effects as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also, it's that self-image. You know, little babies aren't lying in their cots thinking how bad they are, how unworthy they are of love. Mm. That's something that's learned. Mm. Um, you know, we, it's, it's only experienced by humans. It's not experienced by animals. You don't have animals, you know, having that sense of shame in, in the way that we do because we have to represent it through the linguistic experience that we, we represent everything in life with. Mm -hmm. um, in and of itself, just to be clear, um, shame is not a bad thing, so to speak. It's, it has a very uh, important function. It has a pro-social function in our life because... It facilitates the social bonds with others. It makes uh, it makes us stick to some norms and rules that we have in social groups. 
um, it kind of makes sure that we are not crossing boundaries that we have agreed on. Our sense of shame, a sort of a healthy sense of shame, develops when we notice that we have crossed a boundary, when we've done something that um, violated the social code, so to speak, of the group that we are a part of. Um, and in that sense, it kind of can be quite positive because it also, um, if we're feeling ashamed, that tells us that, we, that there's something wrong. It can kind of also, in a very positive way, help us to develop more empathy and compassion for others. So that's a sort of healthy form of, of shame. Um, it tells us we have to spring into action here. We have to maybe do some repairs with the group of people that we are a part of. So it, it highlights that a mistake was made and that we have to do something about it. So that's, that's a healthy form. Uh, where it gets more difficult um, uh, is when it becomes... Uh, un an unhealthy presentation that kind of stays with you. So if the shame doesn't go, so to speak, if the shame, normal healthy shame, just dissipates after a while, you've done some repair, you know, the situation is sorted out, you can feel okay again ab about the situation. Whereas if it stays with you, if it becomes part of you, if you have, uh, if you develop a very negative self-image, then we're looking at a more unhealthy, chronic, sort of toxic form of shame that we can carry around for a long time. Yes, absolutely. And you gave some examples, actually. We were talking about some examples earlier on. So examples of uh, you know, how shame may be experienced, like you put down um, feeling unattractive, mm. you know, which, which can have that deep sense, not just of feeling unattractive, just like that time you haven't done your hair and you look in the mirror because you've kind of just got out of bed, but it's that deeper feeling of not being attractive, that core self. There's something unattractive about the core self. Mm. Uh, you know, it could be um, blaming ourselves for um, violence that's been afflicted on us. So in, in an abusive relationship, for example, is taking on that responsibility, thinking it's something about us that caused that. Mm. Well, imposter syndrome is another really good example of uh, shame where we think we can't do anything, we're not good enough. It's this kind of sense of, I'm not good enough to do this. Uh, also, I think this might come as a surprise for some people because they don't create a connection between uh, perfectionism and shame. If you experience very high levels of perfectionism, that might very well be related to having um, a low sense of self. You're not, you're not having a, a, a very low sense of self-worth where you feel you have to compensate for, for the lack of uh, the lack of what you are capable of or for the fact that you are not a good enough person by doing extra well in every aspect of your life, well, working extra hard. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because actually in my experience, everyone I've worked with who has perfectionism knows that it comes from a sense of shame. I haven't mm -hmm. experienced somebody think perfectionism is a good thing. Right. People, in my experience, know how bad they feel they don't get 100% right and it's really frustrating because they can't deal with those feelings. Mm. Is that, do you, have you experienced that differently? Well, no, it's just that um, I think very often, uh, well, from my experience, when I talk about shame, people look a bit surprised and they think, well, what's that got to do with shame? We don't talk about shame. Um, we don't talk about shame for obvious reasons because, as, as we said earlier on, it's something, it's a feeling that gets, is hidden away. So for lots of people, the association would not be about shame. It would be about low self-worth, low self-esteem. But I think shame goes, uh, it's a lower level, it's a sort of another deeper category, so to speak, because it goes back to 
usually to earlier, very early experiences. It can go to it can go back to really early um, experiences as an infant, where a child was not um, uh, was not the apple of the parent's eye, where there wasn't much emotional attunement to the child. For example, um, a baby can already get shamed uh, when the parents don't praise it, uh, praise the infant for starting to walk early enough. If there's a lot of talk about or you know concern about the child not being able to walk, or uh, later on as a toddler not being able to uh, to do the potty training well enough, they can, these can be shameful experiences for yeah. for the child. So one thing that I'd want to add there, I question it, think is important, is it's not about praising the infant soon enough it's about what's said about and even un, unknowingly about saying that it's not okay they're not walking yes. soon enough yes because a, a child's not going to know what age you're meant to be praised at like at six months 12 months whatever but it's about oh something must be wrong even a telephone call in the next room that's overheard mm -hmm. at an early age when yeah. the child's able to understand language or or the expressions i mean that that thing is the biggest thing isn't it like mm -hmm. You know, when they fall over and it's that expression like, oh, yes. no, they're never going to be able to walk. And it's sort of somehow that's that's picked up. Yeah. So it's these early experiences probably more about what isn't OK. And I think that's another thing that you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> which which I'd, I'd kind of add. And you might disagree with this. It's, um, you know, the social boundaries of shame, it can be useful. But I think also thinking about the dimension that everything in life we do in a way we're either moving towards something that we want or away from something we don't want. So it's a dimension of towards and away from. So like with boundaries, boundaries might be there. Like, well, if you don't, if you cross this boundary, you know, something bad is going to happen or that's wrong, as opposed to, you know, you do this boundary because it helps people feel good. So it's like, in terms of shame, we don't, it doesn't necessarily have to be the strongest factor that maintains those social boundaries. Because, you know, if I'm out with friends, you know, I don't say to a friend, uh, you're such an idiot, because I'm afraid of how it makes them feel or feeling that there'll be something wrong with me or I'll lose my connection. I do it because I care about my friend. There's not for moving away from. So I think shame is, is almost weak in life in these social situations. We can move away from the possibility of having that feeling of shame, or we move towards that feel of feeling of social cohesion. But I think as, the two are slightly different. Yes, but as a child, we don't have that option, do we? Because we don't consciously, we're not consciously aware of our options there. We just soak it up, so to speak. We soak up the experiences. Yeah, we do but unconsciously. We, yeah, we internalize experiences. Yeah, so that's like I said, it's a sort of when you're learning to walk, it's the expressions, it's what's maybe what's said when we start to understand language in terms of that's great or encouragement or the expression of like the seeing the parents sad, which again, that sad is moving away from thinking every time I fall over, I'm going to see my parents sad, which is that away from, as opposed to when I fall over, there's no expression or there's encouragement or, you know, and which is that towards from. And that, that from that early age, I think, also starts to determine some of that drive, whether we're more motivated by moving towards or away from. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it can be, um, so it is these sort of childhood experiences uh, in terms of our parental responses to what we do as a child. It can also, for example, um, come out, um, it, it, can, it, it can manifest or develop into shame 
if, for example, the parents always praise one sibling or seem to prefer the sibling um, to, to you know to to what to us, or if we're negatively compared all of the time, oh look, your brother and sister's got a really great mark again uh, at school. These kind of comments can also then develop um, into uh, chronic shame. Or being bullied. I mean, that's another classic one, isn't it? Um, I have so many uh, clients who I work with who have been bullied um, and they still carry around the shame about not, you know, not fighting back appropriately. Um, they feel uh, they could have done more about it. But yeah, or they, they really kind of internalize this idea that they were singled out in a group, that there was something special about them, negatively special about them that singled them out, that made them be bullied by others, that made them stand out, and that actually excluded them from the group. So bullying is another um, experience um, that you might have had in the past that really then develops into that uh, into this chronic and toxic shame. Yeah, absolutely. And, and bullying particularly as well, it's sort of that sense that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Even bullying, not physical bullying, psychological bullying, being excluded from a group, Given that sense that there is something wrong fundamentally about you, it's not just at a surface level, but at the core, there must be something about you. Mm-hmm. And often, you know, when I'm working with people who have experienced bullying or abusive behaviour, part of the process that's really important is helping them to realise it wasn't them, it's the other person. It's that, you know, at that time they were a victim. Mm. People were behaving in ways that were not okay. Mm. And at that early age, you don't know how to respond to it. You naturally form these internal kind of beliefs because you know, that, that's all you can do at that time. You don't know any different. But it's because of these behaviours of the other people around you. There's nothing fundamentally about you that is in any way wrong or shameful. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, part of that is separating that, that experience you had at the time, which was very painful, very difficult, very challenging. Mm-hmm. That was all you knew how to do and seeing that actually, you know, as I said, that young baby is absolutely fine. Is that there's nothing wrong. It's absolutely perfect. Mm. It's totally lovable. It's totally worthwhile. It's what's experienced after that that causes us to then internalize that sense that there isn't something okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and also just to highlight, shame might also relate to um, to a financial situation. So, for example, if you've grown up in a family where there wasn't much money around. Um, and you then went to school and all the other kids had really nice clothes, you didn't. That can also really lead to a lot of shame, internalized shame about yourself. Um, or, you know, being religious, you know, every, anything that kind of singles you out. Also, if you have a different religion, for example, a different um, cultural experience uh, might come into it. Um, and this sort of sense of always being disapproved of somehow, that kind of stays with you. Yeah, I think just like you said, any difference, it -hmm. could be some sort of the shape of your nose, it could be Mm -hmm. sort of facial characteristics. And it's a combination of that thing that stands out and how groups, I think, very frequently in, in particularly when we're younger, how groups then focus on that for their own purpose Mm -hmm. to make themselves feel more superior or better. Mm -hmm. But they're home in indifference. Yeah. And, And it can be. The, the, the most ridiculous things. I mean, I've worked with people who've been bullied at school, where at one school, you know, some feature was something that people liked, but then at the next school, it was this shameful thing people picked on because mm. it made them different. Mm. 
Um, and so, it, you know, that same thing for one person may be very different for another person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important too, is that it's not that shame is something we all experience in the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, two people with the same features will have a very different experience depending on the groups they're part of, depending on the context. Mm-hmm. And that will then, you know, lead to their later experience of shame. Just maybe one other thing I can think of, because that's often a manifestation of shame from my experience, is that uh, there is a secret in the family. There's a secret that needs to be uh, kept under wraps um, because it cannot be shared with the rest of the social group because it feels um, deeply uncomfortable to share it. So, for example, um, alcoholism in the family. Very often I've worked with clients where one parent was an alcoholic and that needed to be hidden away from the rest of the world at all costs, or, or where there was a mental health um, presentation in the family, that often also needs to be hidden away. So shame very often thrives on uh, secrecy. And actually, um, this kind of takes us back to what to do with it now. Um, also, is what's really important with shame is that the more it's hidden away, the more it's not talked about, the more it's cloaked, in secrecy and silence, the worse it is in terms of the impact and the grip it has on the person who experiences the shame. So it needs to be brought out into the open. And we'll come we'll come back to that in a minute in terms of uh, what you can do or, you know, what's helpful in terms of shame. So, <clears throat> so there's something about um, bringing it out into the open that's important. Also, another point um, that I think is relevant, uh, talking about social norms, etc., is to remember that some um, societies, some cultural uh, groups, have a much higher level of shame than others. Um, so there are some societies where uh, a person might be much more easily shamed. They're much more shame-prone because the social code is very strict, is very clear, the boundaries are very firm, and if you transgress these boundaries, then uh, you're much more likely to experience shame than in another cultural group. So that's important as well. There are differences there. There also are <coughs> uh, intergenerational um, experiences of shame or transmissions of shame. So if you are part of a particular group uh, in society, you might experience shame more, for example, if you've been adopted, that might actually um, really, ex- ex- um, what's the word, um, intensify your sense of shame because your parents have given you away. Yeah, that's the idea. That's a really, really difficult thing to process. Or where there's been divorce in the family, that can also be really troublesome for lots of people. Or the social status where you have a very low social status in your particular group, that can lead to shame. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really important with some of these things that you've mentioned is that interaction of how things are transmitted socially and individually. So, again, somebody who's, for, for example, um, divorced in the family, mm. how that's handled mm. between parents mm. is going to make a difference. It's absolutely. not that fundamentally no. these situations cause that. No. It's how it's transmitted unconsciously and consciously mm. through what we say and through our behaviors the non-verbal expressions all of these things will have that impact so it's not that it's passed on you know just by the nature of the situation itself there is this the structures and how it's passed on mm-hmm. that the cognitive structures and the behavioral structures that that 
create that experience of shame. I think I think that's important as well because yeah, that because that can be changed. That can you know we can impact that through learning and of through course. change. Yeah, uh, somewhere I can't remember where somebody said that um, shame happens in the gaps between people. Um, so it happens when there is a lack of communication, when there's a lack of clarification, when there is more covering up more more covering up of vulnerabilities so if it's brought out in the open as you say if it's talked about if it's not hidden and a secret it's much less likely to become a toxic shameful scenario well yes and that's just to be clear as well that actually there is no thing no such thing as no communication mm. no communication is probably a stronger communication than communication Sure, but so, I mean, what yeah. I'm talking about is talking about. Yeah, that's yeah. what I know. That's what I mean is that if there's something not being said, it's like you you know that's because it's that hiding. It's what we go through to do that that transmits that sense of a sense that something isn't okay. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is a very strong communication in itself. Mm, that's yeah. absolutely true. It's yeah. like sitting in a room, someone coming in, and you adamantly go you know turn your back to them or just don't make any engagement mm -hmm. that is a stronger act than maybe just talking to them or saying something that that could be experienced in a way that that they don't want as well mm. um yeah yeah so in terms of um how it impacts um so if you have this experience of you know there is something that needs to be hidden away you need to hide yourself away or a part of yourself away that often then, of course, leads to isolation, which kind of intensifies the feeling of shame even further. The more you self-isolate, the more you find confirmation that other people basically don't want to spend time with you because you're not worthy of spending time with you. The more you get into anxiety, anger, a low, uh, low self or, uh, or low um, self-esteem. Uh, and what this can also lead to then are you know, different types of defences. So it's quite interesting with shame... Um, it can one of the defenses might be that you completely withdraw, that you um, step away from social situations, for example, that you really struggle with uh, social anxiety, for example, therefore you don't expose yourself to these kind of experiences that you that could be potentially shameful for you. The other end of the spectrum, though, is that you do the opposite. So instead of uh, fleeing, you go for fighting, yeah. Um, you become more enraged, you express your anger more, um, you go for attack, basically. So very often uh, a typical defense for shameful feelings is to become angry, yeah, to attack others. Or at the very end, other extreme end of the spectrum is that you develop these grandiose narcissistic feelings that nobody can touch you, that you're untouchable. That's the only way you can kind of defend against your shame. Yes, yeah, so seeing yourself as perfect yeah. hides that fact that actually you have this huge sense of shame mm -hmm. within you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I'm just wondering, just before we finish off today's podcast, maybe going into a couple of things that can help with shame so you know for me something that's really important is knowing that those earlier experiences in life as i mentioned before is we behave in a ways that at the time we know how to so we, we make those choices based on the best options we believe we could at the time so how we what we do how we respond mm. we internalize things that other people have told us but it's not us where something is wrong it's what people have said or have done that becomes internalised, but it's nothing intrinsic about us. Yes. So 
what's really unhelpful with shame, any kind of uh, the sort of enemy of shame, so to speak, is to keep secrets, to hide away, to kind of feel that you have to manage it all by yourself, um, to kind of be, um, to distract yourself, avoid it, so to speak, to engaging with it. So these are all things that are not very helpful in terms of um, your shameful experiences. Instead, what we want to do is, first of all, um, recognize um, your shame triggers. What might be situations where you're feeling particularly um, ashamed? Um, for example, um, with lots of people, it might be um, social situations. Um, they might feel very shamed if they have to attend a meeting, an office party, um, any kind of uh, social events because they then feel that they might be singled out and everyone will see that they are so inadequate and they don't fit into the group yeah so learn to recognize what your particular trigger is for shame notice it uh, notice notice the feelings and um, you will notice that it's a trigger because you have uh, an intensity uh, of feelings that you're experiencing in that moment a sense of really wanting to hide away or wanting to go on the attack um, so that, that's the first thing. Um, so rather than battling with these feelings and suppressing them, just notice them, ride them like a wave. Um, notice that, notice the feelings, the sensations in your body um, and let them kind of wash through you, so to speak. Notice that they are just temporary, transitionary experiences that you have. Uh, and if you do this consistently if you pay uh, attention to uh, shameful feelings you will um, develop a much higher level of your critical awareness so to speak you notice when when this comes up oh this is shame what i'm experiencing here um, you notice when it gets activated when you have particular responses to um, to, to activated shame um, and what also is uh, important is that you're willing to um, um, to speak about it, to um, learn to um, identify it and also to to maybe have a conversation about it with someone who you can trust. Obviously, it's got to be um, a trustworthy person who you have a conversation with. Um, what's helpful is, uh, in terms of practices, for some people, what's helpful is mindfulness practice and particularly the idea that you develop a more compassionate uh, relationship with yourself that you can see yourself as um, as being a lovable person uh, and that you also notice with mindfulness in particular so I'm, I'm mixing up mindfulness and visualization maybe with mindfulness is more about being in the present moment and realizing that you're not under threat that actually you're just in this moment nothing bad is happening to you just to notice your sensations and also um, the next step is also to practice a bit more self-compassion, to maybe have a dialogue with this inner critic who tells you that you're not self-worthy. And they're good exercise and act, aren't they, for that? Well, I think one thing that's really useful, is, is, as well as we talked about in the previous podcasts, is, is you have thoughts, but you're not your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you may have a thought you're not worthy, that you're unlovable, but that's just a thought. It's not reality. It's something that you've learned along the way. These are like echoes from the past, things you've been said, things you've experienced, but it's not you. They're just things that have been picked up along the way that your mind gives you. So you have thoughts, but you're not your thoughts. You may feel shame, but you're not shame. You're not the emotion. Mm -hmm. 
These are passing experiences. And although they feel very real at the time, they're not you. You're more than those feelings. You're more than those thoughts. So something that might also be helpful for you might be to write a letter to yourself. Uh, write a letter of self-compassion to yourself. Write something uh, positive about yourself, what you like about yourself, what you experience as positive about yourself. Write a letter or another thing that uh, some people do and, and really like is to have a cookie jar where you write on scraps of paper, you just write down positive things about yourself, what other people might say about you, what they really like about you, or positive experiences that you had where you experienced yourself in a positive way, write them down. You might have liked, for example, the way that you gave a presentation at work last week. Write that down as something that is worth emphasizing. And what you can do is, particularly when you're going through um, a situation where you've been triggered, where your shame has been triggered, where you notice sensations in your body that are shameful sensations, you can take one of these little... Um, scraps of paper out of the cookie jar just to remind yourself as a sort of counter argument so to speak yeah uh, with the inner critic what we often do um, is also exercises like distorting that voice so if you have um, an inner critic who tells you that you're not good you're not self-worthy you can give that voice a funny uh, you can make that voice talk in a funny accent or um, in a funny voice, like a Mickey Mouse voice, some sort of distortion that takes the sting out of it can be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. The important thing there is not to make fun of it, but to make it, you yourself able to detach from it. Yeah. That's just a few things as well. And there's so much more. And I think dealing with shame, it's really important um, to work with the therapist. I think that's yeah. ultimately, you know, there's a lot you can do yourself, but these can be really challenging emotions to deal with. So seeing a counsellor, seeing a, a therapist could be, you know, really advantageous if you feel you experience shame and it gets in the way of your life. Yeah, if it's if it's uh, chronic shame, if it's toxic shame, I absolutely agree, uh, Tom. I mean, actually, this requires a little bit more uh, work, deeper work, and it can't be kind of fixed within a with a few exercises. So it actually requires a little bit more exploration and and uh, therapy, counselling, psychotherapy can be really helpful too to explore that in more depth. Absolutely. So we're going to finish this up today. Please tune in again next week and press subscribe and we look forward to speaking with you then. Take care until then. Bye. Bye.